With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, let's do this thing. Um, welcome back. This is the Bless Your Boys podcast. We're doing another uh, meetup with the Don't Call It a Rebuild, It's a Team Build podcast. So I've got Mark Garage with me. And we've got a really special guest for you guys tonight from the ticket, 97.1, Jeff Rieger, one of the, the most kind of recognizable voices in Detroit sports. Jeff, how are we doing tonight? Good on, guys. Thanks for having me. Recognizable, annoying, you know, that's just, I guess, uh, depends on uh, the judgment. How are you guys doing? Yep. I- iconic or <laughs> yeah, or possibly yeah, slightly irritating. <laughs> doing good. How's it going? Oh, it's great. It's great. Uh, listen, it was 70 degrees outside today. I got to play some golf and it's supposed to be 70 tomorrow. So it's hard to complain right now. Yeah, the whole weekend uh, is setting up really nice weather wise. And yeah, considering everything going on in the country, um, it's nice to get some some nice weather and go out and just do something and forget. So, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, I, Mother I, Nature. I for think that, that uh, I remember that last year at this time, we had eight inches. Oh, don't say that. Don't, don't say that. Yeah, don't and say that. It, we haven't then, seen a, haven't seen a hint of snow yet. Right, and then it didn't snow for the rest of the winter. It was beautiful. I go through this routine yep. every every week. I check the next two week of weather, and I'm doing it right now actually. And I have yet to see anything in the 40s, so it's a positive November. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I need to get out and play a little more golf. I was doing uh, doing really good in uh, until about. End of September, we kind of conked out, but uh, I think I played more this year than I had any time in, in years because I was off of work for two months um, for the COVID situation. It was like we, we were semi-retired. It was awesome. <laughs> played a ton of golf. Speaking of semi-retired, <laughs> Riggs, we're happy to have you, man. You want to talk? We're excited about talking some baseball with you. There's actually a baseball things happening, and you know you got to say once every four years something good should happen. For to the Detroit Tigers. I know with anything that improves what's going on down there makes Jeff Rieger's better. There's no question, man. Listen, I give you guys credit. I, I like looking at Mark's Twitter because <laughs> when AJ Hinch was hired, <laughs> it was like, I got a, a layup. I'm not giving you any credit. This is a freaking layup. No, you, you are, you're very entertaining on Twitter. You're definitely a big, and I think there needs to be more of this for this regime. As far as, it mattering like this year, I'll be honest with you guys. I did the pregame a little bit and I didn't go to too many of the zoom press conferences because once they kind of fell out of contention and I allowed myself to enjoy it for a little bit, it just didn't matter very much. The last three years haven't mattered much. And listen, I was one of those guys when Osmus was, you know, Leland was there and everybody was starting to try to figure, okay, should we blow it up? Should we give it one more year? I was one of those guys saying, blow it up. Let's blow it up. Get rid of David Price, get rid of Ian Kinsler, get rid of JD Martinez, Justin Verlander. The problem was you had a GM that couldn't really get anything for them, unfortunately. And I thought it was the greatest thing ever. I'm like, all right, sweet. We got drama. Here's a rebuild. We can, we can hopefully hope for good things to come. The last three years have been so dismal. They've been so bad. I sit at the ballpark on an August gorgeous night just wishing for football. 
Like, I kid you not, it was almost like I was addicted to my phone. Like, like you can see me, Brandon, on I, – I would do this. I would just look at Twitter, look at Twitter. I got a game to watch. Two seconds later, I'm looking at Twitter because the game was just so uninteresting, and all they did was lose. So, hopefully, we can get some interesting baseball. Yeah, when, when they – well, when they blew it up, I mean – did you have any expectation in mind, like how long this might take? I mean, was there any kind of timetable that you kind of had in your head when uh, when they started trading those guys off? I mean, yeah, I guess. But you know what? I, I was – I admit it, man. Sometimes I'm one of those tank, tank, tank guys. You know, like currently I would love the Lions. So that's the mindset that usually creeps in my head. So at the time, I was sick and tired of almost competing. Like I remember 2016, as you guys do too. Like they go into Atlanta for the last series of the season and they lose to a three. And of course, on that Sunday, Lions also lost to the Bears. So it was like, I, I remember it so vividly. It was like, okay, cool. Tigers not in the postseason. Then the following year, they trade away Justin Verlander. No, I didn't have a time frame. And people did call up the radio station and did tell me, they're like, you do realize it's going to take a long time. And my response was, don't care. It's time. So, it's so tough. Yeah. Can, can we get perspective? What, what was your first year? of doing the pre and post game show? Um, so I started at the ticket. It wasn't called the ticket in 20, uh, 2002, so 2002. And my, my, one of my first nights was when the Wings won the cup. But my, one of my jobs was to hit the dump button. So when people called up the post game show, no swear words got on the air. Like that was my job. Like one of my first jobs at the radio station. Um, in 2003, I told them, I'm like, listen, can I be a reporter? And they sent me to a Tigers game in 03 when they lost 119 games. And I remember going down there. And, you know, I know you guys just had Lynn Henning on. Funny story. Lynn Henning was interviewing. I don't even remember who it was. My first ever time in the clubhouse. I go down there. I got my little microphone. It was a mini disc player at the time, if I'm not mistaken. And I had no idea what to do. And I just stood there. And Lynn was doing a one-on-one -on -one with somebody. And I just kind of popped my mic right in there. And both the player and Lynn Henning looked at me like, what in God's, what the, what are you doing, dude? Like they had no idea who the hell I was. So of course, tail between my legs. I, you know, got a little sheepish and I went about my day. So I probably covered about 40 games, maybe 30 games that season. And then come 2004 with the Trammel uh, era, uh, I was pretty much full-time Tiger beat at that point. So I've been doing something, some way, shape, or form with the Tigers since 03, 04. So I saw some really bad baseball, and then, of course, the glory years. And now, you know, we have this. So this is always one of my favorite questions I, you know, yeah. about this many times. And Lynn and I have been known to eat quite a few lunches together, and we will, we will get in arguments at lunch about this, depending on how much – we decided to have to drink at lunch to get funnier, <laughs> but uh, funnier. were you surprised fired Dombrowski? And do you think if they would not have fired Dombrowski, that he would have navigated this last few years much differently? Um, the first question, no, because Mr. Illich was all about loyalty, like great owner willing to spend whatever it took that. But if you crossed him or he thinks you crossed him, you're done. And I think that's what happened with Dave Dombrowski. I don't think he was ever going to give Dave a chance to go to take another job. And whether Dave was going to do that or not, I have no idea. But he was definitely looking. 
So it did at the time, of course, it shocked me because I remember he made all the trades. And then I remember being at the ballpark and like, wow, Dave Dombrowski is fired. Al Avila is taken over. So I wasn't shocked. Like, like, I remember talking to Mr. Illich about Max Scherzer. And we were talking about the contract. They offered him $142 million. Yeah. And I asked him, I'm like, I'm like, Mike, he wants more money. And his response was, yeah, we thought it was totally fair what we offered him. We moved on. So it, it, it was that thing. It, it was like, that's how Mr. I runs the show or at least ran the show. So wasn't shocked they fired him. But 100%, I think we'd be in better shape if Dave Dombrowski was still the GM. There's no question about that. You know, Riggs, it's funny you bring up those two things because when you look back at the era of Tiger baseball, those two decisions, more than any other two decisions, were the two biggest mistakes of, I agree. of, of the you know, late Illich era. I mean, his stubbornness about Scherzer, if he would have paid Scherzer, it's a totally, Scherzer actually got better, which was hard to believe he could get better, but he, he did. And actually went deep into games, (laughs) went deep into games. And I mean, it helps pitching in the national league, especially the national league East at that point. But yeah, fair could have played off that, whether they kept Verlander or not, but it would have opened up the opportunity. Verlander, you know, was, starting to have some injury breakdowns in the, some of those years, he would have smoothed some of that over, but you would have opened up the opportunity to have traded Verlander earlier if they would have wanted to, or you would still had vintage Verlander and vintage Scherzer. You would have had a high payroll, but you would have had two of the, two of the five best pitchers in baseball. And the other thing is, is that look, Dave Dombrowski knew how to make some trades. And so, yes, they, they traded away their farm system all the time. But remember, Max Scherzer had six years of control when they got him. Austin Jackson, six years of control when yep. they got him. Carlos Guillen, four years of control when they got him. I mean, he was very, very adroit at making trades where he got a lot of service time left. And so essentially his minor leagues were who he would trade for. And, you know, these guys had solid major league careers he never gave up too much for them and i just yeah and they weren't you know and they weren't obvious you know i yes. mean there were guys who still needed to break out and in most cases he, they did he, so yeah that's, that's not easy think, to do you know remember he totally rebuilt the florida marlins with young players he, he left before they won the world series but that was all his groundwork i i, I think they made a few short-sighted moves that probably created a bunch of issues. I think my feeling about Al Avila, who I think is a very nice man, but uh, sure. I, 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 sure. I, <laughs> I think, you know, I, 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 my favorite comment about Avila now is, is look, there are 50 brilliant minds in baseball and I'm sure Al Avila is in it. The problem is there's only 30 teams. <laughs> so, uh, and we'll, you make a good point about Dombrowski though, because you have, you have to look long and hard for the bad trades that he made. And he didn't really give up a whole lot, like Umberto Sanchez or Sheffield. It's unfortunate Chef got injured. Or that 2017 could have won and should have won the World Series. They were the yeah. best team in all of baseball. Oh, my like, God. What, mean, what about Jared? Well, Jared Washburn, Aubrey Huff, and um, uh, that, 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 uh, trading away, uh, uh, oh, my goodness gracious, Cincinnati well, Red away, Black. Right? You, you oh, yeah. Eugenio Suarez, yeah. Those are probably the three worst. By, by the way, Riggs, just so you know. 
I, I have, you know, I have, I have a few people that I talk to that know a few things that are, you know, various people in writing communities or contacts in the front office. And I've spent the last five years, Brandon and I laugh about this, trying to find out what really was the deal on the Eugenio Suarez. And, and, you know, Lynn usually knows all these things and he, he never really felt comfortable with any answer I've ever gotten because the trade is so out of character that any trade that Dombrowski ever did, that there had to be others going on. I mean, Alfredo Simon, not only was he not very good, he was a bad guy. And it just, it, it there just seems like there was something going on there that somebody didn't like a Eugenio Suarez after his 300 at bats of his rookie year. And it's, wow. yeah. I mean, it was just brutal. It was a brutal trade all, all the way around. The go-to line was, if you want to believe it or not, was, right? The, the go-to line was, he was durable enough to play shortstop for 162 games. Meanwhile, he goes to Cincinnati, hits 50 jacks. Yeah, that's right. He played, sure played 160 <laughs> games at third base just fine, right? Yeah. mention walking. And, you know, so, all right. So, you know, Brandon and I wanted to – so what do you think of the A.J. Hinch hiring? It's, it's, it's definitely changing the dynamic down there, right? Well, I listen, I like – I actually, and maybe I'm totally misguided about this, but when I, when I found out Gardy was done and Gardy, super great guy, I just don't think great manager. So I, I, I was happy that they decided to move on from Gardner and hire. And if he's dealing with some medical issues, I, you know, I, I hope he's okay. As far as AJ Hinge is concerned, I thought the Alavila move would have been Don Kelly or Marcus Timms. I kid you not. Like, I was somewhat shocked yeah. that they hired A.J. Hinch. But the fact that they hired Hinch, and, and you might disagree with me here, Mark, and Brandon, but I'm going to tell you this anyhow. A very good baseball mind, it tells me I don't think Hinch would take this job if the plan is to be cheap, if the plan is not to go out and spend a little money on the free agent market and maybe throw some money into this. Because I have no idea if these prospects are going to be any good. I, I, Matt Manning, I, I can't tell you. Casey Mize, who knows? Tarek Skubal, we don't know yet. However, what I do know is there is an, a more enormous amount of free agents out there that could help this team. And we need to make the move of, instead of going out and getting guys that are here for a year to trade them at the deadline, and Jonathan Scope is rather good, but guys like that, you need to go give a couple of years to a guy that could actually help you. And I think that's what a hinge signifies. And I could be totally wrong about this. And you could tell me if you think I'm totally wrong, but that was the first thing that went through my head that maybe they're serious about. This. No, I, th- Oh yeah. I mean, we were, we're totally stoked. And I also, you know, for lots of baseball reasons, but I would totally agree that, you know, AJ Hinch had options. Um, you know, maybe the Chicago White Sox were going to pass on him no matter what. Um, you know, that, that whole decision was, was totally baffling. But, you know, he could have got a job in a front office anywhere and waited until a better managerial gig opened up. So I tend to think, you know, the same thing, that they must have expressed some sentiment that, yeah, it was getting to be time where they're going to spend a little bit of money, start actually building something, you know, start investing in the team. Or, you know, he doesn't necessarily need this. I mean, he could lay low for another two years. By the time he came back, you know, probably no one would care. So, so yeah, I think it does symbolize that as well. And I also think, yeah, I mean, it, it was a necessary move for Al Avila, and it also um, it showed me something because you know I mean you were around for like the Chris Basio extravaganza and some of that stuff on um, like um, 
who was the catcher that had the domestic violence thing, the Derek, uh, Derek Norris. Um, you know, they, they didn't seem to handle, to handle that stuff very well when it happened. Yeah. They didn't seem to handle that well. And they didn't seem, yeah, they didn't seem ready for that kind of criticism or any, you know, of a move like that at the time. Um, and so I kind of thought they might, you know, shy away from him, you know, from AJ Hinch and some of the controversy as well, but the fact that they went for it, you know, tells me they're, you know, they're, they're feeling like it's time to, to start doing something. And, uh, we definitely agree. It's, it's uh, long past due to start doing something. Hinch, and sorry to cut you off, Brandon, but, but Hinch, I truly believe. Now, I haven't talked to him, but there's a couple of things that I'm truly impressed with. Like, okay, whatever you want to say about the scandal, does he truly own it? I don't know. Does he feel guilty that he robbed the Dodgers of a chance to win the World Series? I would love to hear an honest answer. He'll probably never give it to you. But he said the right thing. He seems like he's a really good communicator. His players seem to love him in Houston. And obviously, the biggest thing is he seems like he's pretty adaptable as far as, I mean, he was talking the other day. Okay, first year in Houston, they thought he was obsessed with the bullpen, always Captain Hook. Then he gets the frontline starters at Dallas Keuchel and Justin Verlander. And, you know, he lets guys go seven, eight innings. So I like his mindset there, too. So I, I think I, I'm impressed with everything I've seen. And I don't know if you guys saw this, but on YouTube, Dan Dickerson did an interview with yeah. AJ Hitch. And I'm not kidding you guys. I got chills. Because there was a point of that interview where AJ Hinch, and I'm paraphrasing, said, Listen, when I got to Houston in 2015, there was a bad baseball team. I saw some talent there. We went to the World Series, kind of like Leland here in 06. But he said, when I get to Detroit, let's go. I'm in the fire. You think my decisions are bad? Let's go. Let the second guessing begin. And I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to second guess either Garden Hire or Ausmus at the end, but it didn't matter. Any question you ask, it doesn't matter because they're supposed to lose the games and nobody cares. Nobody's even watching except for you two guys and me. So I, some of the <laughs> stuff I like about Andrew, I think he's going to be a good skipper. I, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited. I have, you know, besides the baseball, you know, the baseball reasons why to hire AJ Hinch are obvious. It's like a, yeah. it, it's like a buy, it's like a buy low circumstance. A, B, very little competition. C, and I, I think I've said this on other pods and I've tweeted it many, many times. Look, if they win, if they hire anybody besides AJ Hinch, Kelly Lombard, a bunch of no name guys, if they hire those guys and they win 66 games this year, Chris Illich is firing Al Avila. It's enough already. 66 games. He would have lost between nine, more than 92 games, five straight seasons. If you pro, if you prorate this season, and you got to say to yourself, look, I appreciate you brought in some guys, but you should have brought in some guys. I just can't stand the losing this much. It's costing me a fortune of money to lose this much. It, it, it's it's enough. You're killing my franchise. I got to try something else. But now, when you go for A.J. Hinch and you have every reason to go for him, there's millions of other ancillary reasons to go for him, now that gives you credibility, okay? And you're going to be able to talk to some players when you're in a scrum between you and two other teams to get a player. Maybe A.J. Hinch has some panache to help them get a player and it doesn't have to be a top end free agent. It could be a Jack Peterson. It could be a second baseman. It could be a $4 million guy. It could be 
a Mike Miner. It, it, they're not spending $25 million on George Springer this winter, Reeves. Maybe next year they will. I wish. Right. But my point. But it does lend them that legitimacy. Them yeah. Legitimacy. The legitimacy okay. is key. And I told Brandon a little secret. I'm not going to let the secret out of the bag, but I'm going to say it in a coded way. Supposedly, I've been told they're going to announce something tomorrow that's part of his staff that I have been actively rooting for. And if you, people follow me enough, they will know what I have been rooting for. And I was whispered in my ear about 15 minutes before we started doing the pod that they actually may announce it tomorrow and supposedly something good is going to happen on Hinch's staff. If it does, it'll lend another huge level of credibility. It's a pretty coveted thing. So, well, okay, but I want to I want to get I want to get Jeff's uh, take on your Chris Illich perspective because you're you're there more often. You've seen Chris Illich around. Do you do you really think um, that he's at a point where Alavila is on his last year if something big didn't happen? Honestly, well, first of all, I want to know who Mark's talking about, so I, I can't wait for tomorrow. We're not we're not going to we're not going to talk about it on, on this pod because I have to maintain my my. Oh, my I understand. We all have structure. Mark has <laughs> no. I I I would. It makes sense. Okay, you go out, you get the skipper. You go out, you get another piece. Maybe you spend some money in free agencies. You got all these kids that you know should at some point make an impact. I mean, I think it's probably crazy to think they're going to make an impact next year to the level of being competitive. I, I think it's going to be a tough year next year again. Bouncy, will you stop? Sorry, my dog is barking. Um, with that being said. <laughs> I don't see it. I don't see him firing Alavila unless something ridiculous happens. Well, if they win 70 games, Alavila's coming back another year. I don't dispute that now that they have Hinch, but what if they would have hired Don Kelly and they won 64 games? What, what was going to happen then? Oh, well, see, see, you know what? I think it's going the year this year, too, unfortunately. I, I do. I, I, th- I think Chris Illich is totally bought into either what Avila tells him or – He's bought into running this thing on the cheap. Whichever one you want to believe, and hopefully the hinge thing is proof that he's not going to run it on the cheap. But he buys what Vila tells him, and he's not Mike. So I think Al's in this for the long haul as much as it kills you. Like, I, I truly believe three years down the line, if you're still looking at fourth place in the division, out of it by August, then, yeah, Al's probably got to go. But I think the grace period is still two more years here, unfortunately. We're going to have to agree to disagree. Yeah, when you hire a new manager, now when you hire a new manager, you're not just going to fire the GM after one, you know, one day of year. So so basically, the premise is is invalid. So yeah, it it doesn't really matter. So I mean, Riggs, you 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 get to see a lot of baseball. I mean, you know what good baseball looks like. Heck, you sat down there for ten years. Uh, You know, what do you think 2021 looks like? What did you see? Any flashes of more exciting looking players in, you know, in this bizarre season. Tell me what you saw. Uh, so, I mean, I enjoyed the season. Number one, I, I was wondering if I was going to enjoy a family season. I thought the playoffs were great. And I, I thought, my God, dog, will you shut up? Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, I think it'd be hard not to be impressed by J. Mark Candelaria, what he was able to do after the first, what, like two games where he looked totally lost at the plate. I think I never believed in Jamar. Now it seems like he's got a place on this team. 
I'm still a little iffy on the Victor Reyes experiment. Some days I watch and I'm really impressed. Other days I watch and I'm like, this guy can't play baseball at all. Jacoby Jones, I feel the exact same way about. I think it's going to be this team moving forward. I don't think you can go into 2021 with the current rotation the way it is. Like, I, I don't think, and it's unfortunate because one of Al's biggest mistakes was not trading Matthew Boyd when he had the three years of term left on his deal. I mean, it was ridiculous. And now you see that Boyd is not a frontline starter and at best, maybe a fourth guy in the rotation. So I'm not exactly sure how you go to war and be respectable with a bunch of rookies, young guys. I like what I've seen from Turnbull, but everybody else is kind of a crapshoot as far as the rotation is concerned. And then as far as they need a catcher, they have none to speak of. So I don't know if you go out and you get one via free agency or you trust Jake Rogers finally. I don't know what you do there. The outfield, I think you need probably an outfielder too. And then what do you do up the middle? So I still think there's a lot of holes on this team. And I think that people fall in love with these names, the Willie Castros of the world. And while the jury's not out in play, it's a small sample size, I, I kind of feel we've seen this before. You know what I mean? So I'm not exactly sure that you're going to go into next year if you keep things somewhat the same. I, I think you're going to be awful, if that makes any sense at all. No, I, I really like that you bring up the, the rotation because, I, you know, all over Twitter and everywhere, you know, people are looking through the free agent list and, oh, you know, we should get this bat and that bat. And, you know, we'll sign a second baseman and a first baseman. But yeah, you look at, um, you know, a team needs 850-ish innings from its starting rotation. And where is that coming from? Because, yeah, I mean, Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal can't go from throwing, you know, 50 innings to throwing 150. And you don't know what Fulmer's going to give you. You really only have Turnbull as anyone that you can that you can kind of You are right. On. And Mark, Mark you're, you're the pitching guy, right? Well, I mean, Brandon, is it... Brandon and I are both very okay. tuned into pitching. So okay, I'm pitching obsessed, yeah. Is it fair? I got two things. Is it fair, number one, to look at Lucas Giolito and say four years? Now, I'm not saying any of those guys are going to be as good as he is, but it took him four freaking years. The White Sox as a whole pretty much took him four years. So I don't expect it in its current form anytime soon. But just to like, and that's why it kind of irritated me when Casey Mize made his debut in Fox Sports Detroit was, it's coming. Like, what'd you expect him to throw a no hitter? Just because he did an an A ball? I mean, come on. So I I think you – I got a guy, though, and you guys might disagree. Go ahead. He'd be phenomenal with the media, and he wants to go on a year-by-year contract, and it's Trevor Bauer. Well, here's what I'll say to you. I'd be more than happy to offer him the $32 million it's going to take for him to come here. But I I got a feeling. You think it's $32 million? Yes. B, what do you think for one year? For yeah. for one year, um, I'd seen, I don't know the the way things are going this off season and what's going to happen. I don't know. You know, honestly, I guess you're probably right. I guess the Yankees could just throw thirty million at them for one year and be guess like, "Yeah, what? this is awesome." It's not yeah, just that's the true. Yankees. There'll be three or four teams that are willing to pay them. Sure, the Dodgers million yeah. in a COVID year. Yep. After after these teams lost a ton of money, he's a. Here's what I'll say to you, Riggs. You know what Trevor Bauer is? Trevor Bauer's a unicorn right now. Because he has throwback sensibilities as a pitcher in in an era where if you look, 
they took Blake Snell out after 16 outs in one of the most dominant games I saw anyone throw this year. Okay, and that's just how people think now. Trevor Bauer. Well, and the thing. Well, and there's also the one year yes. factor too. Like if you don't have to sign on to a guy, you know, especially a, a veteran pitcher for five or six years, yeah, you're paying the big premium for because, one year. Because if you if you paid him for three, let's say, listen, I got news for you. You're going to have to pay him 90 to 100 million for three years with an opt out after year one and an opt out after year two. And the teams, there are teams that will line up to pay him the money. The Padres. Assuming, just assuming that they're going to have fans next year full, like fully, which we expect, but we don't know for sure. I'll tell you a team for sure that would pay the money. Guaranteed. Chicago White Sox. Yeah. How big a difference maker is Trevor Bauer on the Chicago White Sox? A, a massive difference maker. Not, not to mention he's one of those dudes that great clubhouse guy, guys gravitate to him. He's the full package, man. Not, not to mention he takes everything so freaking serious. Yeah, he clones around on Twitter all the time. Yeah. But you got to love his ideas he's the Bryson DeChambeau of baseball he is that is a great yeah that's exactly it (laughs) I mean he's a pitching coach you know you bring him in he's your pitching coach and he's your ace at the same time yeah there there's a lot of truth to that you know okay so how about this then Mark and Brandon how about this because you need another start and listen I I need two starters Jeff I I I don't disagree but the question is now that you have AJ Hinch is Chris Illich going to pay money for these guys? Is he going to go out and get a middle-of-the-row starter that is going to be gone at the deadline or, you know, that's just going to finish the year as a third starter? Or is he actually going to go get a somewhat frontline starter that could actually be the ace of this staff? Okay, so so Mar- Marco Stroman's another one. I, I think that is somebody that I talked to. He'd be cheaper. Sure. I, I, I threw, I've thrown that out already. But here, here's what I'll say to you. More likely than not, the way they're going to play this, unless somebody falls in their lap. And I got to tell you, Jeff, I mean, it's, you know, Brandon and I, it's more like a job for us. And so we, the amount of guys that are geared in DFA every day, which is you're busy doing a much broader amount of sports, not that you're not paying attention, but you can already see that there's going to be a lot of, you know, better than average talent. That is, people don't want to pay them. They can't. They're going to lose, you know, teams are worried about losing $100 million without having fans in the stands. And, you know, some teams are more leveraged than other teams. But the Tigers got a little leverage on them, too. And so you're going to see some, you know, opportunities if you're paying attention to assign people that maybe can give you 125, 150 innings and maybe you get the bottle. I mean, I there's a guy who Texas got a lot of mileage out of for two years, Mike Miner, who his velocity came down about a mile and a half to two miles an hour last year. And it's a weird year because a lot of guys velocity was strange because you had spring training, you sat out for three months, you had three weeks to ramp back up. You didn't know when to start throwing. So guys need steady throwing programs sometimes to maintain velocity. So look, Buck Farmer was a perfect example of this. He's really struggled to maintain his velocity. So a guy like Mike Miner, who threw, you know, was a five war pitcher for two years for Texas. He's out there for eight, nine million bucks. And you know, he can throw 150, 160 innings. He probably has trade value. 
if he's on a one-year contract, that's a guy who I look to sign. I think Brandon threw out a guy like, believe it or not, Drew Smiley. I mean, Drew Smiley's rehab now from his 13 different arm injuries, and he's probably <laughs> a guy that can throw between 85 and 110 innings, a pretty effective baseball. There, there are lots of guys like that. Well, I don't well, expect well what this start. comes down to. Do you think he's over the way he got traded? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably probably enough to come back but i mean i just think this is the time for i mean this is the time for creativity like i don't expect him to go shell out a ton of money on one guy but this is what aj Hinch should be able to help you with and you know kenny graham and you know dan hubs and like these more um sabermetric you know and, and modern perspective guys who who know pitching should be able to help you do is identify some you know guys who either might be a good bounce back candidate, which the Tigers. I mean, this is the thing that the smart teams do over and over is just pick up the guys like that, you know, fix them up a little bit, you know, get a year out of them and and flip them. And we haven't even got to that point yet. So if they could do a little bit of that and combine that with, um, yeah, you know, maybe targeting a, a free agent, looking at the teams that you know are over leveraged and overspent right now and want to cut a guy a pitcher that has, you know, two, three years of arbitration ahead of them that they don't want to pay um, and trading from your, you know, your prospect depth, not your, not your, you know, your top seven or eight guys, but that, that deeper pool that we didn't used to have that we kind of do now where those guys are at least viable. You know, those are the kind of guys that we got for Castellanos and um, unfortunately probably even Verlander um, the way it looks right now. So trying to, trying to flip that situation, um, I think is more the way to go love our dms between you know brandon and i and we have a few other people that we chat with because i i've i've thrown out a few you know i'll tell you a team that's going to look to dump a few players and they have some good players to dump is i think the cubs all right so you say to yourself well you got a guy like kyle schwarber it's his last year before free agency he sucked this year but before that he walked 12 to 13 percent of the time and he hit 35 homers Schwarber easily could either play left or first base. And I'm not saying they'll give him away because Theo Epstein rarely gives anything away, but I don't think the cost would be prohibitive to get a player like that either. I would agree with that. That's a legitimate player. While you're talking to them, I think they're also very conflicted about, you know, uh, Contreras, a catcher, and I would have the discussion with them. Okay. Now, a lot of people are going to advocate that you should try to take Gary Sanchez for the Yankees and damn, I'm tempted at the idea. But at the same time, I don't love the idea because you have all these kid pitchers, greatest handler of pitchers. And what are you really trying to accomplish last year? So you have to weigh out. If I take him and he hits 27 home runs by the all-star break on a one-year contract and I can deal him, is it worth it? Or does it stunt the growth of a pitcher? But these are the kind of players that are out there, in a year where people are looking to dump money and God knows you have a $65 million payroll, you know, 75 million, maybe. Yeah. You should be willing to take on a guy making eight, 10, 12 million. Well, see, I agree with you, but that's why I think Gary Sanchez, I think might be an off. I love his game offensively. I'm just not quite sure that's the way to go. However, that's why I'm worried about it. Right. right. But, but like, I still believe, and maybe I'm a mass here, but I still believe that Matt Boyd is not the guy to lead this rotation into anything. Super nice guy. Like, like, like you couldn't ask for a better friend, but as far as a mentor, as far as a red ass, as far as a leader, I, so I do believe you got to go out and spend a decent amount of money on a, 
you want to call him a frontline starter or just a starter, the Kenny Rogers role, if you will, that could guide some of these young guys that are your so-called future. Like, like, I don't know if it's a free agent or if it's a guy you're talking about that maybe teams just can't afford anymore or saw production drop, but whether it's a Jake Odorizzi, a Liam Hendricks, those guys you could get for 10 mil a year. You got to yeah. get what, three, four years. Those, those like, are great like, ideas. Th- those guys I kind of feel could, you know, I, I think I think that's the way to maybe go, but I mean, you make good points too. I mean, Brandon and I have discussed that the other thing that we would like to see them is you don't have to pay a fortune of money for a guy because you know Hendricks, the, the closer, you know Hendricks, the closer from Oakland, he's going to get two years, twenty-eight million bucks. They ain't going to pay that. But you know, a guy like Lake Trinan, he's going to get six million dollars. I would sign him for two years and twelve million and make him the closer, and I'd start trying to build a bullpen going so that we only had to throw fifteen to seventeen outs, and then you now have four or five different bullpen pieces. I absolutely think they're going to look to try to move him in as in a trade because other teams are going to think they can fix him. Okay, and if you look at the, the exit data on the way he gets hit, especially his fastball. If somebody wants to take them and give you anything of, you know, as part of a trade that's more than one player, I'm listening because, you know, look, I, 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 you know, Joe Jimenez might be the nicest, hardest working guy in the world, but when you when your <laughs> fastball's getting tagged for two straight years, there, there's some issues going on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say there is, but I'm gonna say that you're less likely to get enough for him than you are to get, you know, AJ Hinch and hopefully a good pitching coach in here who maybe can turn him into no, something. And that's that's what I want to see. Like guys like Boyd, like Jimenez, like Norris, like Fulmer, you have to get something out of, of that group of guys. You can't just let them all just end up like wandering off in free agency basically or getting next to nothing the way you did with Castellanos. Like you've gotta find a way to like get something back for that group. Um, or yeah, I mean, you're, you're stalling the rebuild out again. I mean, I love that you mentioned Jeff, like the original sin is the, the JV deal and all those deals. Cause that's the original sin of the rebuild. If you didn't get any enough for those guys, you know, the thing was DOA from the beginning. The, the, the question is, it's like, do we want Daniel Norris to be what he was this year? Or is he a starter? You don't know. That's what a pitching coach is going to have to, that's what a pitching coach has got to help you make decisions about. Okay. Well, the, the other thing, too, is, and you guys know this, I'm sure, better than most people do, but this last regime, the Gordy regime, nobody got better, or very few people got better, because they weren't serious about getting better. All they cared about was losing. There wasn't development. They didn't really care about guys on their staff. And, Brandon, you raised a great point. Michael Fulmer, at one point, was Doc Gooden. Good. He, he really was. His rookie year, until he got injured... He was dominant. He was unhittable. He was somebody to get excited about. Of course, it was a Dave Dombrowski trade, right? And you, you thought, okay, sweet, here we go. And then he got injured, and he's not the same guy. I don't think anybody expects him to be that guy. But if A.J. Hinch and whoever he hires to be on his coaching staff can't develop a guy like that, to trade him because you're not going to get anything for him. Daniel Norris, the exact same thing. I had zero confidence in this other regime i really didn't i mean nobody got better it was always the same oh, you know we'll do the norris verhagen combo and you know it's gonna it was it was <laughs> it just didn't work and i feel like they were going without a plan so part of the beauty of an aj hinch is 
I don't think he's going to put up with nonsense like that. He understands baseball. So maybe some of these guys, as you guys were talking about, do develop and maybe you end up trading them down the road, but actually yes. get something for them. Listen, you have good team. Look, you look at a team like Tampa, Tampa makes asset trades. Okay. They trade good players for good players in return. They do it all the time. They're not afraid to trade a prospect. How do you think they got Randy or Rosarino? Okay. I mean, you, you, they gave up a good left-handed pitcher. But at the same time, when you have confidence in your ability to evaluate talent, then you make trades like that. I mean, Riggs, just for fun, I asked I asked Brandon, I asked Cody Stabenhagen, and I asked Henning last night. I, I, I came up with an outlandish idea that will never in a million years happen, but it's the kind of thing that you have to think about when you're thinking about building a team out of the box. So here's what I asked them, okay? If you yeah. can trade Casey Mize yes. for, for Glaber Tories, would you think about it? Well, guys, I don't know what you're talking about because Glaber Torres was available to Alavilla to begin with. Come <laughs> on. You know, for, for Matthew. Oh, Boyd, man. You know? um, uh, yeah, yes, 100%. And, and, and Brandon, I know you know this, and, and Mark, I guarantee you know this, but I, I get sick with the talk of the prospects and the overall, I love you so much, I will never get rid of you thought. So listen, I have no idea yeah. if Casey Mize is going to be any good, right? But what I do know is over the course of my life, watching Tiger baseball, do you remember the greats like um, the, the, the uh, Ryan, not Ryan Anderson. Uh, but, oh, here we go. Ryan Perry. What's that? Yeah, you had Ryan Perry. Oh, I was going to say yeah. Who was the who was the first round pick that Leland decided to throw in there against the Chicago White Sox? And then he was gone. They traded him away not too far after that. Do you remember that kid? They brought him up, played in college, pitched him out of the bullpen. I can't remember his name. But my 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 point is I've watched so many Tiger prospects. Jacob, I mean, you got Jacob Turner, you got Casey Jacob Crosby, Turner, like all these Jacob, arms that, that were it. supposed to be it something. Jacob yeah. Turner, that was it. Go, go go back to go yeah. back even further though. I mean, go back to Raul Casanova. Go to Juan Encarnacion. <laughs> yeah. Go go to um, Matt Anderson, who was a first round pick, if I'm not mistaken, and could throw 100 miles an hour, and then threw his arm off throwing uh, octopus. I mean, go, go back to those guys. <laughs> like they all had unbelievable Gabe Alvarez. They all had unbelievable uh, uh, hype machines behind them. We all thought they were can't miss, and they all missed. I mean, with the exception of maybe Encarnacion. So I would have no issue trading a Casey Mize or, for that matter, at this juncture, anybody. Like, tell me a Detroit Tiger right now that's off limits. There Ooh. should be no Tiger that's off limits. Now, you got to make sure you get value back. But at Absolutely. the same time, you should, be willing to, you should be willing to listen to anything anybody had to offer you. And th this has been my mantra for – now going on four years is look you have to be able to evaluate and I, and i've tried to make it into a more understandable idea for fans and look jeff you talk to fans every single night and it's it's sometimes frustrating and i don't mean to belittle them but fans most of the time don't really understand you know what's 
really good and what's really not. And, and you know, when when we say that I hate Al Avila, I don't hate Al Avila, but I, I've tried to come up with a way to explain it to people that makes more sense. Look, Al Avila does not make a mistake 100% of the time. Okay, and I, I'm interested to hear your take on this, Reeves, because you de- you deal with you deal with general <laughs> managers in all sports all the time, right? And and so I've come up with this new way of explaining good and bad general managers to the public so that it makes more sense, and I call it the 40-50-60 rule. So a bad general manager is right about 40% of the time. So two out of five times, they they make a good call. A mediocre one, about 50%, okay? A good one is right about 60% of the time, sometimes more. Maybe they're having a hot few years. Maybe they're better than 60, okay? But it's very difficult to be right all the time when you're a general manager. It's a very inexact science. And even when you're right, sometimes guys get injured, guys have personal problems, lots of things happen, okay? But Alavila is right about 40% of the time. And, you know, he should, and if you took out the fact that he was drafting number one or number two, it's probably less than that. But at the same time, he's not wrong all the time. But when you're going to ask him to start making high-end asset trades, it gets a little dicier. It's not like, you know, they're the Dodgers. It's not like they're Tampa. It's not like they're developing pitchers like Cleveland does. It's... It's an interesting but difficult thing to navigate, and that's what we. Well, and, and it's that's a. What we, it's a good way that you have of, of putting it, you know, where people make it sound like you know, all right, you guys hate the general manager. No. Why don't you know? Why don't you think you could no. do better? But the point isn't. Yeah, the point is always that the our general manager has to be better than the other general managers. It doesn't matter, you know, if he's right sometimes or wrong t- sometimes. He's got to be right more often than Andrew Friedman. And, you know, whoever else he's, he's competing against. And that's where, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, another thing Jeff, you said earlier that, that just kind of struck me was just about, you know, like the, the lack of action. And I, I mean, I think that stands out, you know, um, just as in a general way to Mark and I both is just a, a symptom of them not having any faith in their own abilities, you know, um, teams that believe in their ability, yeah, to evaluate, to make deals. They're aggressive, you know, they're going for things. They're not just sitting there you know, scared to, to screw up a trade and look bad. Um, that That's really what this front office has felt like for most of the last four years. They just don't want to make a, a really ugly mistake again. I think you're dead on. I think, I think the Matthew Boyd is the prime example of that. You have a guy that people wanted at the time. You have a guy that everybody, how many times did people shout three years of control, three years of control, or maybe it was even four years. I can't even remember at this point. And you let it sit. And now what can you get for him? Absolutely nothing compared to what you could have got for him. And at that situation, who's Matthew Boyd? Uh, again, it, Matthew Boyd isn't Justin Verlander as far as what he means to the organization. He's just a guy on a team that isn't very good. So it's moves like that that you have to pull the trigger on. And Al does struggle with that. I, I would 100% agree with you. Yeah. And you know what? He also, and, and Mark, I know you'll get a kick out of this, but. At times, I feel like Al is reading the GMs for Dummies book, like <laughs> because because he's got his plan, but it's the rebuild plan. It is we're going to draft as high as we possibly can. 
we're going to hope that every scout is correct because everybody would have taken Torkelson or everybody would have taken Riley Green or Casey Mize, whatever the case is. And in the meantime, we're going to go out and spend three, four, five million bucks on a bunch of washed up baseball players that we pray have 70 good baseball games. And then we trade them for other guys that we're going to, you know, hopefully develop one day or the other. That, that's what it's been for the last three years. There's been no cutthroatness. There's been no, you know what, I'm going to take a gamble here. There's been absolutely none of that. And when you talk about trading Casey Mize, if you would, I 100% would, because I've seen too many guys, unfortunately, fail. But the problem is he wouldn't. And considering there's so much hype around him, I don't think Chris Illich would allow him to unfortunately like you guys know that with prospects it's what a third of them turn out to be good a third of them you trade and a third of them turn out to be absolute garbage and you need to figure out which third are the correct third for whatever you want to do to make your team better and i think alice struggled with that yeah i mean you look at the dodgers you know as a, as a model example you know they, they keep a couple of their prospects you know they they figure out you know, these two guys were going to tweak their swings a little bit. You know, Will Smith, their catcher this year, you know, was a, a nice prospect, but people had concerns about his bat. You know, they could have traded him um, at, at a couple points and they didn't. And he worked out. But a bunch of their other guys, when they needed pieces, they, you know, they deal those guys no problem. And yeah, I mean, I think they've they've hyped Casey Mize to the point where people think he's, you know, a really high end pitching prospect. And he's just not, um, you know, like if you look over a 10 year period, you know, Casey Mize is, you know, just another good pitching prospect of which there are, you know, 20 or 30 out there every year. Um, you know, it's not special. So well, when you're at a bad team, yeah, but when um, you're the Detroit Tigers, and but when you're promoting it, yeah. for something good, that's where the buildup comes from. Cause everybody wants to see the young guys, but, but it just, it just popped in my head, Brandon. Yep. Like, do, do you remember how old of a guy are you? If you don't mind me asking. I'm 40, 46. Okay, so, no, not at all. 46. So you are a year older than me. So you remember this, but Mike Drews, Matt Drumright, or Mike Drumright, Matt Drews. Do you remember these kids? Yep. Yeah. 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 These were can't miss dudes. They were, these guys were Glavin and Smoltz. These guys were going to be in your rotation for the next 15 years, and they're going to rack up 200 innings, and they're going to rack up numerous shutouts and complete games. And both of them sucked. That's what you run into. And unfortunately, but ever, but everyone will bring up John Smoltz every time. That's the one that everyone in Det- the Detroit area will bring up, you know, just endlessly until I just want it was to worth it. Faces. Well, yeah, was you know, good. yeah, it was worth it. <laughs> yep. Look, you, know, you got to take your shots. It's, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. It's like you know, people love to talk about Willie Adamas to Brandon and I, and yes, we were very aware of Willie Adamas even at West Michigan. It's not a story I need to go into now. But, you know, I had people calling me from the backfield before he even went, before he even went to uh, play at West Michigan. And, you know, the bottom line is, you got to remember something. Tampa let Willie Adamas marinate for almost five years, four, for four-plus years in the minor leagues, okay? I mean, and they developed him, and they did a lot of polishing of skills. So do you think that he would have come out to be the same quality of player in a farm system that has struggled to develop anyone it's i'm not saying no (laughs) i'm just saying it diminishes the likelihood of what he would have 
um, versus a farm system that's turning out player after player after player because they obviously are better at it. And, you know, that's, that's what fans, casual fans, don't really understand. They just refer back to a trade in 2015, see a guy playing shortstop in the World Series, and go, yeah, we traded that guy. It, you know, the bottom line is there's a lot more that went into it than that. And that's what the Tigers need to get better at. They need to okay, get so- better at taking their talent and polishing it into a good player. So let me ask you both this then. With the current state of this team and with who you have running it, what, what, what is the hope level that three years from now this team's in the postseason? Be you take this and, I'll, and then I'll, I'll take my turn. I mean, um, let's see, three years, can they make the postseason? I mean, I say I have, I have some hope of that. Um, I don't, I don't think it's impossible. I, I, I definitely believe because I think there is more parity sometimes. We're talking than traditional postseason, by the that, way. We're not talking the 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 sixteen team. Right, <laughs> right. I, I'm gonna, say, I'm not gonna, gonna feel super, super confident about that. Like to me, Alavila is a guy who, given enough time, will eventually produce some like 500 baseball, and will have no idea how to put you over the top. Um, which is why I, I sincerely believed he needs guys like AJ Hinch, you know, around him. To uh, to help kind of prod the bear and uh, and point them in, in a better direction because you know I mean the game is set up for for you when you're bad you should get back to being at least you know average eventually because you're going to get all these high draft picks um, you're going to have first crack at the waiver wire etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but it's you know but it's climbing from yeah winning 80 games to winning 90 95 games and actually being a legit threat where um, that's that's what separates the men from the boys and. No, I don't have any. I don't have any faith that Alavila can really get there or or win a title um, without you know <laughs> just radical intervention by um, by folks who know what they're doing a lot more than All he right. does. I'm so afraid. my answer to this is, I'll give you a two sided answer, which is a. Do I think three years from now that they'll be good enough to make the playoffs? My answer, shockingly, is yes. A. Wow. B. And I've said this many times. What do I think the the, the Alavila legacy will be? Alavila's legacy will be when they make the playoffs three years from now, people will go, you know, you need to give Alavila some credit. He's not the GM anymore, but he he did find a few of these players. Okay. I do. I think it, look, the best thing that happened hiring AJ, AJ Hinch is, is that if they fire Alavila, they don't have to fire A.J. Hinch, okay? That and is true. It, and it makes it even more attractive to to get a really astute mind to be willing to come here and because their talent is going to get better. And one of the biggest reasons why I tweeted the best part of A.J. Hinch being a manager here, besides being a good manager, is he – is a lot more insightful and decisive about talent evaluation than the three guys they have doing it. And he's going to whisper into people's ears about players. And all of a sudden now, instead of getting their shrewd pickup was Nico Goodrum. And believe it or not, Nico was terrible this year, but Brandon and I like Nico Goodrum. He can feel much better than you think. He's a switch hitter. He walks, he has some power. I mean, and if you could get somebody, and I think in spring training, they will work a lot more with him. He makes more contact. Nico Goodrum, it could be a three-and-a-half war shortstop. He could stop striking out 45% of the time. And 
in that there's a lot to be said for that. Now, Nico does get hurt too, guys. I mean, you know, you got to start. There's some durability issues that some of these players have that I think we ignore. I mean, we don't ignore it in Jacoby Jones anymore. But look, Jacoby was getting a lot better, and damn, he was hitting the ball hard. He was hitting every mistake. Okay, he never. Dude just hit in the wrist, you know, every other year. <laughs> well, he gets he hit in the wrist and broken out. bones every other year too. Here's, yeah. Here's the other thing. Okay, is look, Hubs and Graham totally out-of-the-box hires by Al Avila. I don't know who was whispering in his ear, who suggested it, or did he finally realize that he was so far behind the times that he had to acquiesce and start hiring more progressive thinking, hitting coordinator, player development coordinator, pitching coordinator, all those things, okay? I think you'll find out if what I've been told is correct tomorrow, that who they hire totally consistent with that school of thought okay and all of a sudden you have and this when we we suspect this is jay sartori and like sam menzen like this is the analytics department hopefully hopefully having more influence but yeah what i here's what i'm saying there's a very popular word in baseball now it's kind of a dodgerish word and it was before they won the world series it's even more so now and it's kind of a tampa word too it's called you want to optimize your players and that's what they're trying to figure out how to do. Okay, this guy has this skill set. How do I optimize him? Or this is the kind of skills we believe in to find players that have those skills, maybe lack in other skills, but we can use them for 400 at-bats or 375 at-bats, or we can use them for 49 innings or 62 innings, and then we get them the hell out of there. And good teams understand how to do that. And the Tigers now have – both the tools, the resources, and are starting to hire the people that are good at those things, or at least on the surface, seem like they're good at those things. No more 67-year-old pitching coaches that have the last seven straight seasons where their team lost 92 games, and you can't remember an arm, you know, besides Johan Santana, who was ever good under his watch. (laughs) Okay, those guys, the days of those guys are over. We don't have Lloyd McClendon with basically a vested pension from the Detroit Tigers for doing nothing of, you know, real memory. Who, who Who's coming to play for Lloyd McClendon because Lloyd McClendon's legacy of great hitting coach or, you know, some type of mentoring. I'm sure Lloyd's a really good baseball guy. A really nice guy. But, yeah. you know, my son used to coin a phrase about players and coaches that are like this. He used to call them JSGs, just some guys. There's a, the Tigers got to stop hiring and surrounding themselves with just some guys and got to start getting back. When you look, look, Reeves, in 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, how many really good players did they have? They don't have one of those. They used to have no. five and seven and eight of those guys, okay? That was the beauty of it. Dave Dombrowski knew how to get some talent, man. He And they don't... Well, it's, well, it's not like those coaches necessarily had that much, you know, to do with any of that success even then either. You know, so you just, you got to have the talent. Jones, but in, but it's been funny. Mirror, you don't think Jeff Jones was well, a better pitching coach than you think? 
No, I mean, yeah, but better than what we've had, certainly. But I mean, it is kind of, you know, telling that every time a Tigers player over the last three or four years has made some improvement, you know, whether it was J.D. Martinez breaking out or Matt Boyd's, brief, you know, brief flirtation with being good, <laughs> it all ended up being attributed to some outside yes. coach, you know, it was driveline well, with I Matt think, Boyd. I think a lot of these guys right now, you speak of Lloyd McClendon, and I'm not so sure that most of the hitters last year and the year before had their own personal hitting coaches. And I think part of the disconnect was Lloyd might have been telling them to do one thing and their own personal guys were telling them completely different things to do. So, yeah, so at least with a new era and the, the hinge tenure starting, I mean, hopefully everybody's on the same page. But, yeah, you are right, too, Mark, like thinking back to those teams of the glory days. Like the Dombrowski did have a knack for it didn't matter who he traded away. Like he really didn't trade away very many guys that you went back and said, Oh crap. He gave away this guy. But in return, I mean, who'd you who'd you give away for Doug Fist or Charlie Furbush? I, I'd say that probably worked out pretty yeah. good. <laughs> you know, who who'd you give yep. a giveaway for Placido Polanco? who who went is is currently in a in a jail cell i mean but, gasoline he, but Riggs, even when he did trade somebody of value when he traded granderson scherzer okay he did. i mean that, that's that's the point he traded and by the way Jackson. nobody knew no, nobody knew how good max scherzer was because he was horrendous at times had to go to the minors and then came back and struck out right. at 17 oakland a's but but he, they, you know, look, at the same time, people like traded Fisher and they got back Robbie Ray. And look, Rob, you want Robbie Ray back, you can have him right now. He's probably more than a – he's a free agent and he's more more than reasonably priced coming into this season. He struggled even at a place like Toronto, which is very good at optimizing their players. The, the bottom line is this is a wide-open opportunity for them. I think better things are coming because they're they're better – they have better people helping them. I'll give them credit for hiring better people. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. To your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, I want to transition into something because this is right in in the Rieger wheelhouse, and I, yeah. you, we all have a ton of respect, and we, you are, you are actually a legend for some of your post game material questions and interviews. I mean, we 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 can't not do a pod with you and talk to you a little bit about. The, the different relationships you've had with Tiger managers over the years. So, I mean, look, obviously we've all had some interaction with Jim Leland. And so talk to us. Let's, let's go through a few of these managers because they all were unique in their own way. And so talk, talk a little bit about your relationship with one Jim Leland. Uh, love Jim. Fabulous guy. Now it didn't start off that way, unfortunately, but uh, I, I like to tell the story Okay, so when I first started doing the Tigers, as I mentioned to you guys, I was I didn't ask a question for probably, geez, eight, nine, ten games. And then when I finally first started asking questions, it was 
well, you know, um, you know, uh, Bobby Higginson looked good today. What would you think? Two hits. It, it was those kinds of questions. I mean, it's the kind of questions you get from maybe the beat writer that just wants the, a quote about the, the star player for the day, write a story and go home for the night. But then it hit me. I'm like, you know what? Like, there is a market here. There's a lot of people, like you guys who know a ton about baseball and other people who know a ton about baseball, and you guys don't have the access that I have. You guys don't get to go to the games and then ask the questions about what you want to know. And unfortunately, there's a lot of guys that don't ask any tough questions at all. So I don't even know when it hit me, but it was during the Leland era, probably in 06, that I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to ask what you guys want to know. So I used to look on Twitter or Facebook or or, or whatever Valenny was talking about at the time or Terry. And I just asked those questions. And it used to piss off Leland. And there was this one time that, like, because Jim changed. Jim, when he first got the job in Detroit, you guys probably know this. He was, I'm not saying this to be mean because it's the mean word, but he was a lot more narcissistic than he was when he left in 2013. I truly believe like it was all about Leland at the start. And then at the very end, he truly cared about the city. He cared about the Tigers. I mean, he loved managing the Detroit Tigers. And our relationship was sort of similar because when I first started with Leland, I didn't ask too many questions. And then I started asking what I feel people wanted to know, which was usually about his bullpen. And it was usually about the overuse and why are you playing Ryan Rayburn so much or Brandon Inch so much? So I asked those questions and he used to get pissed. And there was this one day, and you can actually Google it, Jeff Rieger, Jim Leland, and you can see the transcript. But there was one day that Rick Porcello was pitching in Pittsburgh. It was very young, maybe his first year. And Leland took him out after eight innings. He had 89 pitches. I'll never forget this. He was dominant. Leland took him out for the ninth inning. Tigers won the game 4-0. I did a post-game show. They were in Pittsburgh. I did a post-game show, and all these fans were furious that Leland wouldn't let him go to the complete game. I mean, it's stupid, but that's they were pissed off at this, <laughs> right? So I asked Leland right, the next day. So- I'm like, listen, Jim. And, he, and he's, he used to lie on his couch. He wasn't wearing a shirt. He had his hat. He's smoking a cigarette. And he's got a blanket over him, Right. And he's like, anybody got any questions about the Detroit Tigers? That's what he used to always say. So I go to him. I'm like, Jim, does it ever amaze you at the amount of second guessing that you got? And he's like, what are you talking about? So I explained the scenario. And he's like, well, you're one of those effing radio guys, aren't you? I'm like, yes, I am. You guys don't know bleep from bleep. And he started yelling at me. And we went back and forth. And everybody played the audio. You guys can Google it if you want. And that's kind of when it started. I had a personal meeting with Jim Leland the next day because apparently he thought I was, I don't know, trying to put him in a bad spot or whatever the case was. And we made up. Everything was good. And then from that point on, I used to just ask him a ton of questions that nobody else would ever ask him. And while he used to get pissed at me and threw me out of his office a couple of different times, I I truly believe he had – a decent amount of respect for me. So we were at the winter meetings after he had retired Diego and he came up to me and I have no idea how he found out, but he found out that my father passed away and he gave me a giant hug and he's like, God, I'm really sorry about to hear about your dad. And I'm like, Holy. Wow. Like, like, like I, and from that point on, I mean, I'll see him. I introduced him to my mom. She was a huge Leland fan. 
So it started off a little rocky, but then, 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 then I was able to, uh, you know, we, every time I see him, we, we talk. He's a good dude. The, the other story. Good, good, good oh, that's awesome. A great human. The, the other Leland story I love. Well, I mean, there's many. I mean, he used to talk about how he used to talk about how his wife was in town from Pittsburgh, so uh, he was happy because he had the Viagra. So <laughs> <laughs> he told the story about how when he was in Pittsburgh, he used to gamble. He used to gamble here in Detroit too at the slot machines. But he always wore a hat. Nobody ever recognized him. And one time in Pittsburgh, he won forty thousand dollars on a slot machine, and he paid a guy to escort him to his car. $40,000 means he's already a millionaire, but $40,000. And he said he was never so nervous driving back like 45 minutes to his house. But the one wow. story I love about him <laughs> is it was in 2010, I want to say. And Brian Britton, I don't know if you guys know who that is. He was the communications guy at the mm -hmm. time. And we get done in Leland's office. The great thing about Leland was he, he, Osmus wasn't good. Gardy wasn't good. Leland taught you about baseball. Like every day, 30 minutes we'd spend with him and he'd teach you about baseball. I mean, he was, he was great. And he always believed that if you covered the Tigers or any baseball team, that you should not say a word for the first year. Just soak it all in and then you should be allowed to talk, which I thought was a bit ridiculous. But I'll never forget, it was a day game and it was 9.30 in the morning and we're talking. And he calls me aside after he's done with the rest of the media. And Brian Britton, the media guy, is like, hey, Jim wants to see you. So I'm like, crap, well, what would I do now? So I'm like, yeah, what's up, Jim? And he's like, he's like, Rico, let me ask you a question. I'm like, yeah. He's like, he's like, you probably, you pr I heard you're getting married, right? I'm like, yeah, Jim. He's like, be honest with me. You met your, and he was swearing, you met your effing wife on one of your radio shows, didn't you? Because there is no way in effing hell, no effing way in hell that anybody would want to marry you with that face and that nose. I, just my ass <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of guy he is. Uh, yeah. Leland, Leland was, he was one of a kind, man. He, first of all, you. anybody that's ever met Jim Leland that's had oh. any you know, interaction where he was being Jim Leland knows. Oh my God! One of the greatest. One of the reasons I love one of the greatest profane swears ever. Oh yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. Okay, and you know his love of cigarettes is pretty legendary. And my my first interaction with him in person was when Patrick was playing in a. Uh, Patrick was he was not the manager of the Tigers yet. He was a special assistant to La Russa in St. Louis. And so he, you know, they assignments and cause he had such a keen eye for a lot of stuff. And he, he you know, obviously the Tigers do the same thing with him now. And he was watching Patrick was about 11 years. He was 10 years old and uh, it was a 12 year old tournament. My son happened to be in it and he ended up standing next to me and I'm not lying to you. Uh, he, he smoked about five heaters during the game and it, it, it's like you're around all these baseball parents, all these kids. Leland, Leland is is just burning them one after another. It was it's like your it's like your 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 87 year old grandmother in 1962. It was amazing. But he was well, he, he talked did, to you guys remember when, and, Oh, did you remember when the smoking ban came came to Detroit? Yeah, 
it was supposed it was huge news. It was supposed to take effect on Friday midnight, so Saturday, right? 1201. It was supposed to start taking effect. So the Tigers had won the game. The Friday night game against somebody. And I'm like, wow, this, this is kind of a newsy thing. I mean, Mr. Smoker, like, like that's Jim Leland synonymous, as you're just saying, with cigarettes. So I go up to him and I'm like, Jim, I got one last question. He's like, yeah, yeah, what? And I'm like, okay, so smoking is now illegal in public places. You love to smoke. Are you going to follow the rule? And he's like, well, you know, I'm a law-abiding citizen, so of course. And Tiger's PR came up to me and chewed my head off for asking the question. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what's the problem, guys? Like, well, that, that's not a sports question. I'm like, so what? The dude's a smoker. It's a pretty big story. We're getting a smoking ban. So, of course, I sent it to our news station, WWJ, and the ticket. And it was big news at the time. So, like, we used it the next day and really probably the next week. But he totally, he t- if you ever watched, he used to disappear during mm-hmm. innings. Like he would go back into his yeah. office, he would smoke, and then come back out for the start of the next inning. <laughs> which, which I think everybody <laughs> finally over the years kind of caught on to. Oh, it, it's, totally. it, it, you know, it's funny you're posturing media that way. And I mean, you know, look, that's now, you know, almost 12 or 13 years ago, some of that stuff was going on. And I, I you know, Brandon and I usually do a show outline and I wanted, especially with you, who's been doing this for a while now, even though you're still a pretty young guy, I wanted to ask you, you know, talk to me about how sports radio in Detroit has changed over the years, how things like Twitter, fan websites, podcasting, how, you know, it's, it's the audience probably for sports radio is smaller now, but it is, you know, I'm just curious how it's affected how you guys do your job. Is it harder? Is it easier? What kind of fan do you think you interact with now? Talk, talk to me a little bit how over time it's changed. So when I first started at the station, we were AM. We were called AM 1270. And it's changed a lot from there because it used to be all sports. It used to be, you know what, you need to talk about sports every hour. Talk about sports. Do not go away from sports. That's how it used to be. And every now and then you would go away from sports and you would be reminded, like, this is a sports radio station. Now it's a sports radio station, sure, but it's everything, too. And I think part of the success of the ticket is that we talk about a lot of things. So as you guys know, when you're on the FM, you get a whole lot of seekers, right? So you get a whole lot of, like in TV, you get a whole lot of people changing the dial. Okay, don't want to listen to this song, don't want to listen to this weather report, and you keep changing. You hope that if you get Mark and Brandon just flipping stations, and I happen to be talking about me, somebody, we're talking about, I don't know, porn, or we're talking about food, or we're talking about Trump, whatever the case is, you hope that maybe you stick around for a little bit And thus, okay, you're a fan of the station, hopefully, and you come back to the station. So while it used to be, it was all sports. Now it's, yes, when big sports stuff happens, you want to talk about sports. And I love talking about sports most of the time, but now it's different. It's more broad-based, right? So you can talk about- A little more like sports lifestyle. It's a guy talk, right? You can talk about anything you're talking about with your buddy. Yeah. It's pretty much what it's like now. And I think that's the reason that we're pretty successful because 
you're hoping to get it, it's all about the broad uh, a group, right? You want to get as many people listening as possible. So, so, and and Mark, you're not going to like this, but if I went on the air on a Monday, let's say, and I start talking about the Tigers pitching coach, or I start talking about mechanics, you're like you're into it, right? You're totally into it. But the majority of the people listening probably aren't, and it may be a tune out. So that's why you got to keep it broad. So I don't, I don't even think yeah. that people will want to listen. First of all, I don't think people like to talk baseball on sports radio at all anymore. I, I mean, you know what they like to talk? You, you and, and see, this is where I disagree with you. When the Tigers were good, hot. And you know what was the hottest? When a closer blew a save. Yeah. That is when it was the hottest. Yeah. Like I'm not even going to lie to you guys. There were times that I had to do a four-hour show after a Tiger game. And if it's a 2-2 game or a 2-1 game – I sometimes rooted for radio. I'm like, sweet, if Todd Jones or Fernando Rodney or or whoever comes up here, Phil Coke, and blows this save, I will have full phone lines for four hours. So sometimes I'm like, not the worst thing in the world. Like, I'll give you another example. When the Lions lost to the Bears first game of the season last year or this year, when they, well, tied with Kyler Murray in his first ever game last year in the Cardinals, or this year when they blew a 17-point lead to the Bears, like, it'd be nice for the Lions to freaking win, but knowing they lose yeah. how they lose, it's fabulous for sports radio. So, <laughs> yeah, if you're going to blow a game, blow oh it big, God, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah make mean, a story out of it. Far, but, you know, Riggs, as far as discussing the baseball, yeah. what, what's changed is in 2020, when Brandon and I want to listen to the minutiae of the detail of baseball, you can listen to a podcast or I can turn Perfect. on MLB radio or MLB network. And I, I, if I, you know, I'm lucky enough to see it at home. And, you know, when you got, you got DeRosa and leader breaking down hitter. I mean, you know, that that's, you're never going to see that on sports radio. That, no, and Mark, the other thing, go on. Oh, I was just going to say like, when I'm driving, I don't, and I don't really want that either. You know, like if I'm, if I'm in baseball mode and want to dive deep, yeah, you can find the content you want, but yeah, I mean, if I'm, just roaring down ice, you know, 696 or something. I don't necessarily want to be paying attention to absolute minutia. You know, it's got to be entertaining. Right. That's but just the, the other thing, is. too, is with baseball specifically, hockey, too, a little bit. I feel that the average fan is local. Like, that's why local sports is so successful, I feel. Mm-hmm. Like, in the NFL, you're watching other teams because we all love the NFL and college football. You're watching other teams. But in baseball, some of the names that you guys have named over the course of this podcast, the hour or whatever we've been like, the, I, I don't think it's not a rip on the fans by any means, but I, I don't think the fans either know these guys or watch these guys. And I think that hurts talking about baseball because it does, but, but they, but they will talk of, you know, Vitae sucked at right guard last, you know, in the game Sunday. They'll, they'll talk about they, they, they will which is funny <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll be mad that they think adrian peterson is not good but that's just where baseball is like unless you're yeah unless your local team is good you know the the amount of really hardcore baseball fans is just not that great anymore Reeks, i gotta tell you the most the lions are the most amazing media sensation i've ever watched in my life <laughs> because i've never seen a team that's accomplished less that people want to discuss more every day they want to discuss it on july 9th in the off season okay because training camp is starting in 10 days it is it is for 57 years of watching this team and i could tell you i can count on one hand 
the years they were really good in my lifetime. And one of those years was before you were born, Rieger. I mean, it, it's the craziest shit ever. I, 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 you know, you want to talk about incompetence. I mean, the, the fact that the Ford family has held the city hostage for this long is one of it. You would think the government would have intervened by now. So and it's, it's it's the crazy, and they keep passing it to one family member after another. I know some people that work down there, and they try. They were trying to tell me that you know, I think Sheila Hemp is like she's going to be different, and I'm like, no, she's not. <laughs> okay, nope. it, it's either you understand football or you don't. So. But that, that goes to Jeff's theory, which is, you know, um, the Lions are like the, the blown save in a baseball game, but they but are. always and it, constantly. Yeah. You know, they are. It never stops giving. It's so true. They are such a clown show. They, they are such a, they're a carnival act. You can't really look away. And everybody, everybody has an opinion about yeah. the NFL, too. So it's, it, it is funny, too, because whether it's the Ford family Stafford, or it's almost like, you know, you get the Lions talking points and you have the Republican talking points and the Democrat talking points. Like th- there's really no difference. It's like the same calls and the same things sell the team won't win until the Fords give it up. It- it's, it doesn't really change, but I don't know. I still love it. Like, I'll be honest too. My favorite thing in radio, my absolute favorite thing. And, and I love covering games. I do. And I love asking a question that I feel, you know, this is me being selfish and narcissistic myself. I love asking questions that I think nobody else is going to ask. Like, I'll think a question. And I, I, love, I love getting the gotcha questions in there. But my favorite thing, and it never gets old, is doing a Lions postgame show after they crap in bed. There, um, there, is, there is nothing better. There's nothing better. It, it- it's like the Lions invented memes before they were a thing, you know? I mean, it, it's such stand, just these standard, you know, rep- you'll never win with the Fords, you know, just on and on. You'll hear the exact same things over what and over. What amazes yeah. me is people. Like, and, and I, I might be a little different than everybody else at the station. We have this thing called the ticket tax. So it just, like, prints out in front of you. And, Mark, you'll get a, you'll get a kick out of this. The, the most negative ticket tax I ever got was, it was like five, seven years ago. And it said, Rieger, I hope you choke on a matzo ball, which, <laughs> which I'm like, wow, that, that's actually pretty creative. I like that. So I read it on the air and talk, you know, nothing about anything, blah, 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 which is fine. But you won't believe how many people get angry at me when the Lions blow a game. Like it, it blows my mind, <laughs> but it's almost like, why aren't you getting angry at the team? Why, why? They've stolen your Sundays yeah. for your entire life, but Lifetime. you're angry at me. It's, it's, I will, to me, I don't know if this person is the most entertaining part of Lion, you know, media, but I got to tell you, you got to love yourself some Kelly Stafford because holy smokes, man, she, (laughs) she don't take shit from anybody. Okay. She's defending her boy and they'll, they don't want to discuss the protocol about COVID, she goes right on Instagram and explains the entire damn thing today. I was like, yeah, it ain't the first time. My girl, she's just ripping on people now. So it's she is the gift. She is the Lions Instagram media sensation gift that never stops giving, okay? She's the Did you, 
we, we she took over she took over for Kate up in um in our in our esteem yes, for uh yeah screaming at at the majors when yeah when JV got robbed of the Cy Young we love that love oh, that, that so was much amazing oh. that was ama- I mean listen if I had a supermodel stick up for me like that I mean how can you go wrong those two Florida writers admitted to not watching what his last two games yeah, yeah. yep yeah, between, Bla- between Blake's between Blake's Snell and Rick Porcello stealing a uh, two Cy Youngs from, by the way, Rick Porcello, I, I don't think he'd want to come back here. I think he's going to try to want to stay with the Mets, but you know, they, there's another, there's another somebody who at least, you know, they're going to eat, eat innings. may not be good innings, but they may, he will eat innings. So, so, so guys, real it just quick, kind of feels like another Ivan Nova. As far as Blake Snell is concerned and that, and that game seven, uh, you, you guys seem like you're, you're, you're deep baseball thinkers, but that, that was the worst decision in the history of sports, was it not, or no? Well, I'll, I'll give you my two cents. Brandon and I have talked about this, and we usually come from a we, – we, we argue a decent amount, but we usually come from a pretty similar place. And here, here's the deal, Riggs. I, you know, let's, let's talk about it because analytics is always either getting too much credit or taking too much blame. Okay, but you got to understand something that Tampa's run their team the way they've run their team for the last two seasons. And damn, they were successful. I mean, they were on the verge of potentially winning a World Series, doing things pretty unconventionally. But what you have to understand about analytics is you, you have to give yourself at least a little wiggle room using the baseball eye test of what's going on during a game. And when the top three guys in the order are 0 for 6 with six strikeouts and his pitch counts low, and it happened to Blake Snell, one of the biggest detriments of Blake Snell most of this season was his command was very iffy. Would that that be fair B or not? Well, it was, but he was also hurt. I mean, he only made like, you know, I think he pitched 30 innings. So he wasn't stretched out either. But let's just say that night, we, we were talking while the game was on. We were DMing each other, and it, it was no mystery how good he was. I mean, they, he had 15 whiffs. They had 15 swings and misses in his first 15. No walks. Games. No walks. He was just Yeah, he it was just, filthy. Just Absolutely filthy. Away. So I, I understand your concern when the leadoff guy gets on, and he, he squared it, but he kind of mishit it. It wasn't a huge exit velocity smoke shot line drive. And yes, Betts is coming up and it makes you nervous because look, Mookie Betts is a great player. We don't even need to discuss that part of it. But at the same time, understand something. Snell was coming out after 18 outs. It didn't matter. If that inning, if he got two more outs, he was he was not starting the seventh inning. I, 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 can, I can guarantee that, okay? The fact that they did not allow him another hitter after the first hit reached safely, it, it was a Shonda. It, it, it was, <laughs> you know, Kevin Cash is a great manager. Really, he is. But that was a huge, huge tactical mistake. And more importantly, Anderson had given up a run in six straight outings. It wasn't like he was postseason record. Right. It wasn't like he was the same guy. Well, yeah, Blake, Blake Snell coming out of the game is a, is the way the Tampa Bay Rays run their organization. And Kevin Cash is their manager because he will, you know, he will play ball and go by the books there. 
Um, but anytime you're saying to yourself, if anyone reaches, I'm pulling this, I'm pulling this pitcher, you probably should have pulled that pitcher already. Or you should have decided, no, we're, we're just going to roll with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the worst part of that to me was going to Nick Anderson. Like if you'd gone to, a, you know, Diego Castillo or something else, I could have seen it. But in the moment, would I have pulled him out of there? Hell no. No, well, I, I, no, I was just going to let it roll. Yeah, and totally that brings it back to AJ Hinch and some of his decisions. Too. There was no discussion, no fuel check. There was no, how you no. doing, bro? There, there, there was none of that. It was just, all right, single or man on first, boom. Yeah, it was a single. Yeah, you're being taken out of the game. I guess my whole issue is people shout about analytics, and, and you are right, Mark. I mean, they're either blamed too much or they're given way too much credit. But sometimes there are certain situations where the unicorn happens, right? And analytics will tell you what you need to know over the course of a season. I totally get that. But when you're trying to get to game seven, when your season, I mean, it's it's, it, it, it's, it's disgusting to even think about. It, it really is. I, I'll, I'll say this. The, the, one interesting, the, the one interesting part to me is imagine you're Kevin Cash and you're walking out there to pull him. And you know exactly what's, I mean, he knew exactly what was going on. How much, what a gangster move that is to just walk out there, put his hand out, give me the ball, and know, you know, you're willing to take the heat for what's coming next. There was no hesitation, no, no. anything. But but and, see, I disagree, though. I'll say that. He, he yeah, he took the, he took the, the onus for the whole game on did. himself he right there. That's for sure. He stood in there and did it after the game. I, but, but I think he made that decision as part – like, I think if you ask Kevin Cash, like, dude, your guy was balling. Would you want to keep him in? I, I think he probably wanted to keep him in. He made that decision, so he had the excuse. Like, this is how we do things. So I'm going to ma- I'm gonna manage so I have an excuse instead of managing by putting my ass out there. And if I leave him out there and he gives up a hit to Mookie, then I look like a total bastard and people are going to blame me. You should have done what we've done. You should have done what the analytics have told you to done. Like, I think he took the safe way out. I really do. I think the total gangster move would have been to go out there, and put his arm that. around him, and leave him in the game. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, Jeff. I can tell you this. I, I imagine that they will have a discussion and an argument about that inside of the Tampa front office, in their offices, virtually every single day between now in spring training, there will be an argument well, about it. And I just want to make that, and I just want to make this point again. Like it's, you know, if that wasn't an analytics decision to, to take Blake Snell out, you know, if, if that was the point where, you know, it was like, or, or if it was, if it was like, nope, third time's through the order, what, anything happens, we're getting them out of here. They then compounded it by not looking at what all the numbers, everything in the eye test, both would have told you about the guy that they were going to. And and to me, that's where it blows up because if they had just brought in, you know, a different reliever, he gets out of the inning, you know, whatever happens, happens. Um, but, you know, it's a two, it's a two parter there. You know, if you're going to take Blake Snell out, you damn well better be right about who you're bringing in too. And that's, you know, I mean, you got to have, got to have both sides of it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's been a great, it's been a great decision for discussing analytics with. Put it this way: If Anderson would have got two outs, people wouldn't be discussing it very much. That's that's the point. Good point. Well, the other thing that I do like to do real quick is I I like to envision if it was Brad Osmus going out there to take Verlander out. Oh God, that's just. I think I think Verlander probably would have put him in a headlock and beat the crap out of him. This is one of the reasons why it would have been Robin Ventura versus Nolan Ryan. We needed to have you on the pod just for these 
unbelievably great observations because, you know, listen, I think Justin Verlander was just about the scariest. Listen, Scherzer was not very good either when you went out there to get him sometimes either. He Except he was, for the one game that he decided to take himself out, game two of the uh, yeah. Yeah, ALCS. Yeah, listen, all I can tell you is, look, you know, it, it's amazing, you know, when you watch the playoffs this year, Justin Verlander was showing up in a lot of huge categories for legacy playoff things, strikeouts, and, uh, and it, it, it's better than you think. Meanwhile, the World Series, not too good. But every, you know, the playoff series, you know, the division championship and, uh, Anything that comes before the World Series, Justin Verlander is like a—he's a historic boss in the playoffs, well, dude. So. Remember those two games against Sonny Gray, the Game Five against Oakland. He was unfreaking believable. Oh, yeah. And the one game nobody ever talks about—people talk about Big Poppy in the Grand Slam in 2013 in Game Two. But what made it even worse was Game Three. Verlander complete game. He loses one nothing, gives up a solo bomb to Mike Napoli. That, that was it. That was it. Yep. In a playoff game. You yeah, that was the worst. Nothing. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that was the worst of it. That was when I knew. It wasn't, wasn't when Ortiz went off. It was that. Yeah, that was the game for me. Well, and I think that brings it back to A.J. Hinch, because I think what we see with A.J. Hinch is he's a guy who obviously knows the numbers, you know, knows the book, knows how to, how to coach with, you know, the metrics and all the technology and all that. But, you know, in the big games... He's made some big calls. He let, you know, Verlander throw a complete game against the Yankees in the ALCS in 2017. Nobody else would, well, not many other teams would do that at this point, no matter who the pitcher was. And then you got him letting Charlie Morton pitch the last four games, of the, you know, yeah. the last four innings of the World Series and yeah. just riding him without going to his bullpen. Um, how about you? And that, that's, color, that's the kind of stuff that excites me about him. Out. Yeah. 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 And telling him to throw 24 breaking balls, I think, in a row. Like, you know, that's, yeah. That's feel and it's analytics at the same time, you know? That's the best of both so, worlds. It, yeah, you know, like I said, I am normally extremely pessimistic and acerbic when it comes to this, to, to, to this version of the Detroit Tigers. But I, I think I've been pretty clear since the season was over that it was A.J. Hinch or die. And, you know, you if you're going to be any type of analyst – you have to be fair-minded enough that as much as I've blown Avila up, and I think one of my favorite bits these days is that they have all those cutouts, and I like to say that Avila has a cutout of me in his office yelling at him. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I will, you know, I had to give him, look, I said, hiring Hinch was a layup, but he didn't, you know, at the same time, he didn't fuck it up. He got the job done. He hired him. So let's let's yep. tip your hat to him, celebrate him, and say good job, Al. I mean, you know that's that's plan one. I think if what we've been kind of teasing happens tomorrow, you will see Mark Gorash on Twitter tipping his hat again. And I, basically, for that one, I would probably give him a small hug. So uh, it, we need to get you two together. We need, we need, Al and I would probably have a wonderful dinner. Okay. Listen, it's the same as to me, having dinner with Avila is the same as Henning and I, when we have dinner, because there are quite a few disagreements and 
I, but we, we like each other and we have a good time. We just each express our opinion about things and, uh, We'll see. You know, Lynn gets a little upset with me because he likes Al. I mean, and, uh, you know, they spent a lot of time in various hotel drinking establishments after games for probably a decade, and they like each other And because Al's a likable guy, but it has nothing totally to do. Totally likable. <laughs> totally likable, it, but it has nothing to do. Listen, there's a Riggs, you would understand this very well. There is a monstrous difference between being Dave Dombrowski's right-hand guy and being the guy. It is, the chasm is giant between those two jobs. It, it is so much more responsibility, so much more. And Well, Dave, Dave was the ultimate micromanager. Not only was he just the GM, but he was essentially the president. He had his hands in everything. There wasn't anything that went on that he didn't know about. He knew about everything. And it's not a bad thing. No, no, not at all. I, I, I will leave you guys with this because I am being summoned upstairs as my daughter is still awake at 1040 in the, in the evening. We're great parents. But, but I will leave you with this, Mark. You'll get a kick out of this YouTube, Brandon. We went to... We went to uh, my mother is a huge Tiger fan, massive Tiger fan. She's 87 years old and she got tickets from her rabbi to the Detroit Economic Luncheon at the Motor City Casino and the Tigers were there. So I introduced her to Rod Allen. Great guy. Mario and Pemba, Dan Dickerson, Jim Price, bunch of Tigers. Right. Here comes Al Avila. And I go to Al. And I'm not there as a media member. I'm there as my mother's son. I go to Al. I'm like, uh, Al, uh, how you doing? Uh, my mom, Freda Rieger, she, 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 some words for you. She just wanted to meet you. My mom decided to jump down Al's throat and start yelling at him. Why'd you change Justin Verlander? My son hearing me, you didn't even get anything good for him. And she starts yelling at Al Avila. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's just standing there. <laughs> smiling, taking it. And of course I was like trying to hide my face. I'm like, you got to give me shit. But, but at the same time, I was kind of proud of my mother that she was yelling at Al Avila yeah. and other people are listening. So fast forward to the oh game that God. night, I'm standing there. Tigers lose. Al is walking with the rest of his colleagues into the clubhouse and I pull him aside and I'm like, Al, Al I just got to tell you, Thank you so much for putting up with my mom. I'm sorry about that. He put his arm around me. He's like, now I see where you get it. <laughs> oh, yep. Tip off the old block. Yeah, totally likable guy. Oh. Totally guy. Oh, that's great. Dude, I really thank you for uh, coming on the podcast. Um, hopefully we can, uh, we can do this again sometime Absolutely. this offseason maybe when uh, the Tigers, Tigers produce some news. So, um, yeah. Uh, go take care of business, and I uh, really, really appreciate you being on, man. Thanks a Guys, lot. Guys, thanks for having me. It was a blast. I had a good time.